Welcome to the Joe Watt Podcast. I am Joe Vendramini from the University of Florida Range Cattle Research and Education Center. And today, our guest is Mr. Kerry Leitze. Kerry, thanks for being with us today. Man, couldn't wait for it. Um, Kerry, I'd like to ask you please to introduce yourself and tell, tell us a little bit about your experience in your life. And my name is Kerry Leitze. I'm a sixth generation rancher. I married my high school sweetheart. We've been married almost 45 years. I have three kids and nine grandchildren. Uh, my brother Lane is my partner in the business and we have a great relationship. Um, we've been mostly in the past a cow-calf operation. And, uh, but we really got into feeding our cattle about 25 years ago. So we found out if we could background them on the ranch where they was born. And uh, it was a lot easier on them. Very little death loss. So we, uh, we use a by, uh, byproducts to get them started. We try to get them started with a real dry feed and dry hay. And um, it's inexpensive. We've been able to get them started on about $70 a ton feed. And uh, we found out it's best to go ahead and feed them for about 45 or 60 days. So when they leave us, they were either going to go to Texas or to uh, Quincy's in Chiefland and um, weighing about probably 650, 675. And our death loss, uh, including here recently, has is, is been under 1%, somewhere around 0 0.8. So we're real happy with that. Uh, we found out if we give them the back 45 and include Draxon in there, uh, it's, uh, it really gets us to the place we need to be. We, um, we have a lot of Brayford cattle and we also have Brangus, but we're trying to uh, move a little more to the red. Um, we use Charlotte bulls on our Brangus and we use uh, a semi-Angus type bull on our uh, Brayfords. And then we use uh, about 20% of our bulls are Bramers. And um, we use them to try to get our replacement heifers. And uh, we like weaning our replacement heifers at about nine months, uh, get them on some feed, get the energy up in them, get them up to their weight where, where we can go ahead and we ascend the English and continental type to Georgia, to our place there, and put them on winter grazer and feed. And been real fortunate to get them bred good up there. We leave the Charbray and the Bramer type here that's a little harder to breed as a yearling. We put uh, bulls that we raise on them, and we get them about 78% bred. Uh, Joe, we found out, you know, our, our main business is cattle. It's probably 85% of our uh, income. And um, so we started raising our own bulls just to kind of uh, keep that expense down. So uh, we raise our own Charlet bulls. Sometimes we put a semi-angus with them to get some smoky bulls. We raise our own Bramer bulls. 
and uh, we have a herd of Bremer cows. We have a herd of horn Herefords that we will breed two horn Hereford bulls and also the uh, Bremer bulls to get tiger stripe heifers. And also we use some of the F1 tiger stripe Brayford type bulls on our woods cattle. About 20% of our cattle are woods cattle. And um, I still want that conception rate high in them. Um, that, that's very important to me. Ever since I was a, a little boy, all I ever cared about was to be a cowboy. I wanted to grow up and be a cowboy and, and raise good green grass and, and fat cattle and, and do a good job at it. And so that's always been my, my plan is to do it right. And uh, we all try to work hard at it. And, and Carrie, one thing that I think is unique about your breeding program, we see that you keep a lot of those continental type of heifers that were bred to your Charolais. So can you explain to us um, uh, how you decide to keep those white heifers and, and how you, you like them as a mother later on in life and what is the program? Yeah, Joe, about 20, 25% of our cattle are what we call yellow cattle. Mm -hmm. And they're, uh, they, they need to have some skin on them. Mm -hmm. And uh, they need to be pretty well slick, good female instincts. And um, we, um, we want a little ear on them. And those type of cattle just really work good for us. They, uh, we put a, uh, a black bull on them. And before we started feeding, the, uh, the reps wanted those cattle. They fed out good. They fed, uh, you know, uh, good um, grid on them. And uh, so we're really pleased with those cattle. I can't find them probably. Mm -hmm. uh, we, every once in a while, when Robert Jukage, our vet, will come out and palpate our heifers, we always do a temperature test on them. We already noticed that the yellow cattle was still out feeding whenever our uh, black cattle was in a, in a water hole or in a hammock somewhere about nine o'clock. And then our red cattle was hitting that area about 10.30 and our yellow cattle was still out grazing and uh, around noon. Um, so, um, but that cross really worked out good for us and, we want to continue that, that yellow color in our cattle. And Kerry, relating that genetics now to what you just mentioned about the performance on the feedlot, that you you are able to evaluate all those parameters because you keep your cattle, right? And yes, you sir. have those numbers back. Yes. And you have this probably more diverse uh, crossing between the Charolais, between your F1s, that yes. probably will be the so do you send all to the same place and then you sort by by type or how how is the procedure for you to to feed them and and market those cattle? Yeah. You know, Joe, it's hard for us to background all of our cattle one time because you know in, in, in May and June such a good time to background because we're not getting our summer rains and still ain't quite real hot yet. So we we are weaning about a third of our cattle then. We'll leave our keeper heifers on the cows, 
but um, those early wieners seem to be always be our best ones. And uh, so we, our cattle are already color coordinated and we try to send them out there in different colors so we can do our own research and learn what's best for our operation. So about almost 25 years ago, we started feeding cattle and we just started with a couple loads and, and it helped us so much to, to tighten our cattle up on the breeding program, learn about what window we want them to be harvested at. And it, it seemed like there's always that 60 day period at harvest that that's the best. And uh, so it, we're also sending some three quarter bramers out there and, uh, and then some uh, three quarter continental and, and English. So what we have found out, the ones that we sent out there early, they uh, we rid all of them that the the yellow calves will always be about thirty five or forty pounds heavier. The black cattle will come off feed first. They'll be our lightest weight that finished, you know, around that eleven eighty twelve hundred. And then once we sell the yellows. We make that little bit extra on, on their weight. The grid's almost the same as the black and yellows. And then 30 days later, our bramers will be ready. Now, they'll be a lot heavier finish. There'll be a lot of 1350, 1380. And we always make money on them, but not quite as much. But uh, we still want to send them out there. And, and uh, now, in the last three to four, about three years, we started sending about a about a quarter of them to Chiefland, to Quincy's. And we get the same information. The, the performance information is really important to us because on what kind of bulls to use and how long the, that we need to leave them here every day. We, we've changed our operation more from feeding cattle than any other aspect. But we, we uh, and now we feed all of our cattle except for our replacement everything gets fed. And uh, in, in Chiefland, and we talked with some members of the, the Florida cattle group yes. that is finishing. Do you have to send a, a special type of cattle to, to Chiefland just to be consistent or you send your yellows as well and, and it's pretty similar to what you send to Texas, the type of cattle yes. that you send to, to Chiefland? You know, Joe, what we wanted to do to find out I mean, we want to make sure this for the cattle rancher deal works. You know? yeah, I mean, we, that's our living, and we, we've got to make it work. So when we sent a, a pot load of yellows to Texas, we did the exact same thing to Texas. Mm -hmm. And same with the blacks and same with the bramers. We grouped them up and sent them out there. So we had a little less going to um, Chiefland. And, uh, it, and it seemed like they, they started performing faster. It seemed like the Texas cattle was set back a little bit. I'm going to say 10 days okay. on finish. And it's, and it's continued that way right on through the feeding process. Our um, feed expense is a little bit higher in Florida, mm -hmm. a couple cent. Uh, but the hauling made up for that. And um, the grid, the performance on it is pretty close to the same. Um, 
they will finish about 10 days early and earlier and cheaply. So, and I think that's going to keep getting better. But um, we, um, we think this is a good tool for us to go either way with it. And, and Carrie, just switching gears here on the conversation. So I think um, here in Florida, we have a pretty diverse agriculture system, but you are the one that is probably the model of diversity with different uh, business inside of your egg business. Although, as you said, cattle is probably the main business, but you have uh, another thing that you do and do well. And can you please tell us a little bit about the other activities that you have in the range? Yes. You know, our families keep getting bigger and, and now the next generation is even getting bigger. So um, we knew we had to diversify and, and, uh, and so we have a good chance to keep a good percentage of them on the ranch. So uh, we started a hunting business and it's been good to us really and, and it caused us to create relationships with other businesses who it's really helped us. So the hunting business has been great for us and we still do it, we do it in a different way now, but we still manage it the same. Uh, my brother and I started Citrus in 83. We've been set back somewhat with the greening, but we've learned how to stay in it. We're still, we're still in it for the run. We think we're going to be fine. Uh, we've learned how to live with it. We also cut a lot of seed. The seed's been good to us. And uh, we've taken advantage of a lot of the byproducts, you know, on our ranch. And we also get... Uh, the wet revenue, which has helped us on growing seed and keeping our grass green. Uh, we always wanted our numbers to increase. And one thing we've learned about Bahia, uh, we love our jigs grass and we love our florida. And, and everywhere you turn on our operation, you see Ona there. Uh, we, we take advantage of a lot of the research from Ona and the different grasses and the different recommendations. But uh, but you're going to have Bahia. There's no way to keep it out. And we've learned that if we will, you know, we all raise to uh, stock for the winners. Well, we've started about 15 years ago stocking for the summer. Uh, all the Bahias, whether it's Tiptonine, Argentine, Paraguay, or Pensacola, when it, and during dog days, when it grows really fast, and you start seeing that one inch red tip on the top of it, that's the sugar leaving it. So once the sugar leaves it, the protein goes to nothing. And it's important for us to keep our cattle conditioned for them to have their next calf. That way they're conditioned when they have that calf, they get bred back. So we started stocking for uh, the summers. In some of our pastures, we got a, a pair and an eighth on them. And, um, and we want them to graze it down, keep it about eight inches, real rotated, let it make grow up a little bit, and then rotate it back. But we, that, that, that keep their condition in the summer. Now, it is, the pH is good on it, and we are getting some form of nitrogen. You know, whether it's um, the prill, biosolids or, or the revenue and, and then we will put out ammonia nitrate in one supply but we think it's very important for that grass to stay green 
year round. And uh, so in the winter, you know, you're going to say, well, what, what happens in December? So we turn our bulls out the 8th of December every year. And that, that's everywhere, uh, even our woods cattle. And uh, so we want them to have a lot of energy 30 days before we turn the bulls out. So we'll start giving them some form of energy. We think pro, uh, energy is, is way more important than protein. So um, they don't get much. Uh, and they normally get it three days a week. And, uh, but everything, even our woods cattle, get some type of energy. And, uh, and it's helped us. It's unbelievable how you will conserve your grasses by doing that. And, but we're only talking three or four pounds per head, uh, per every other day. So we've learned how to, for our operation, it may not be good for everybody. But to keep that bahia tender, and we'll take them off. We're trying to grow some homothia and and, uh, and jigs and Tipton A5 and these other grasses during the summer, so we can keep the uh, the bahia grace down. And Kerry, we are going towards the end of our conversation. So we were talking about grass, so we'll just pick it up there. So. Uh, we talk about few species, but if you have to select just two, the best two forage species that you have here in Florida for you, which ones would you select? Um, the cheapest one would be Bahia, uh -huh. any form of Bahia. But I, I really like Florida. I, I like it in the winter. If you kind of at least have two rotations on it, mm -hmm. it, it, it'll be vital for you know, you won't lose any of it, and it keeps the spittle bugs and chinch bugs out of it. And uh, but I want to go into winter with about eight inches high. It looks like rye grass. The cattle will be great on it. It seems like it'll go a little longer in the winter without the frost hit, hitting it, hurting it. I think it's because it's a little bit warmer because it's growing. We also like the jigs grass. Uh, I want a little bit of roll on my land to grow jigs. Mm -hmm. And it seems like it's the digital Bahia grass. It is, it's hard to get rid of. We have no problems of overstocking it or growing too much of it. It never hurts us. So it, it's good. We like it. And, uh, and on the same subject, so if you have to select two cattle breeds, again, you have a very diverse breeding program. But if you have probably to pick more on your heart than production, which two breeds would you pick? I have nothing against Brangus. I think it's a great breed, but I'm going to go with the yellow cattle, okay. which I guess I consider the sharp breed, but they're yellow. Uh -huh. And it, it just seemed like the condition stays better. And then the Brayfords. I like ring-eyed Brayfords to keep the eye condition. The only other thing I want to say about our operation is uh, conservation is very important to us. Mm -hmm. we, we run tests all these years, twice a year on our soils, and we think biosolids is the healthiest way to go. And to me, it's healthier on your land and environment than, than granular fertilizer. Mm -hmm. And I think if, you, if, you, if it's one of those low price years and you want to save money and but still keep your cattle in good condition, I think dolomite and lime is more important fertilizer. Uh, we've been able to keep our grass healthier 
by keeping the pH up. And I think it helps use the phosphorus and use the nitrogen in your land. I think uh, lime and dolomite is very important. Yeah, um, that is a very important topic. And I think what we're going to do, we're going to have the podcast too with you. And I think we will focus on soil fertility yes. and talk a little more about the biosolids because that has been a really important topic for the whole South Florida. And, and I think we need really to promote and talk about facts, like right. you were saying, yes. talking about the things that are going on now with soil fertility and how the biosolids can help us, you know, go through not only on the production standpoint, but also in the conservation Right. standpoint that you are able to manage that, that well because you have the, the biosolids. Yes. Um, and, and Carrie, if you have to tell us just a little bit about your hobby, what will be your hobby when you were not working? Well, I, talk, I try to take off on Sundays. Uh-huh. And uh, we all go to the same church. So I go to church Sunday morning and my wife and I catch ourselves going and riding through cattle on Sunday. It seemed like it's every Sunday. So the, the thing I enjoy most in life is the cattle business. And, and, and it's just soothing to me to be able to drive through some cattle, especially when they're calving and make decisions with them. And, and uh, I try to remember the cattle's got problems. But the second most thing I like to do uh, is shoot coyotes. <laughs> okay. I, uh, that's kind of become my hobby and I try, I got a gun that reaches out there and I, I take a lot of pride and they only give you one chance. <laughs> so if you miss that chance, they're going to, they're going to get your calves at night then. But I really enjoy shooting coyotes. <laughs> that, that is a valid, valid yeah. hobby yeah. for us because it's also related to your production system. So <laughs> you yeah. can save some calves there. Yeah. Kerry, I would like to thank you again for participating in the podcast today. I am Joe Vendramini. Joe what? <laughs> <laughs>